Amen. Praise God. Well, with a quote that is probably one of the, you know, the first time I heard this this quote, you ever hear something that, man, it, it, it is so impactful that you hear it and, and, you're, and you're almost in days and you think, my God, it's almost like a reality. You know what a reality check is when something shakes you and, it, and it, you're like, holy cow. You're like, man, I, I didn't see that. You know, it was one of the most powerful quotes that I've ever heard. And Dr. Miles Monroe said it. He said, the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without a purpose. Life with the wrong priorities. Amen. I'm going to say that again. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without purpose, life with the wrong priorities. Life's greatest challenge is knowing what to do. That's the greatest challenge you'll face in your life is knowing what to do. The greatest mistake in life is to be busy but not effective. How many of you all know you can be busy? Martha and Mary, right? Lord, don't you care that I'm doing all this work? And my sister, she's just being lazy, sitting at your feet. What did Jesus say? He said, she's chosen the good thing. Martha was busy. Huh? She was busy, but she was not effective. Amen? Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Pastor Earl Glisson likes to use the example of he'll get a little... How many of you seen those little uh, gerbil wheels? Hamster wheels, hamster wheels. You put them in a cage, and that little hamster, he'll jump on that wheel, and he'll run, 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 run. Run and run and run till he's so wore out he's got to jump out and grab a couple of those little green feeder balls and get him some water, right? He's been busy. He's been very effective. Is he any further from your house? Maybe he's trying to run away from you. <laughs> he's been busy, but has he been effective? No. Too many believers. Right, you understand? I'm not even talking about the Lord. You know the Bible says we, we don't even have, Paul said, we don't even have a right to judge people outside the church. And we say, you understand why I say judge? I'm, there are, this is just a little note for you. When someone says, well, you ain't got the right to, to judge, ask them how many Greek words in the Bible are translated judge. Because I guarantee you they can't tell you. Because you want to shut that mess down. Because the Bible, you know, the, where Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged yourself. There are, I have found there are at least three Greek words translated judge. And the one in that context that says judge not lest you be judged yourself means to condemn or pass sentence upon. Because there are plenty of other places in the Bible where it does tell us that, it, that judge doesn't mean to examine. There are some places in the Bible where we are told you judge, you judge it. And it means to examine evidence or to inspect fruit and to draw a conclusion. Now, you understand this, is that as believers, you can look at somebody's life and you can look at their behavior and their action and you can judge the action and you can say, you know, based on the word, the action is wrong. But you can't say, and you're going to hell for it. Because you don't know. Their story ain't over. Their life ain't over. Huh? Their life ain't done. I'll tell you this, you can't even really just say that somebody, it, it, they're, it, it's very limited cases where somebody that lived a lifestyle of sin and wickedness and then died that you could inconclusively say they went to hell. Now, there's some, there are some cases, but you understand this. People that saw the thief hanging on the cross beside Jesus, you know, he was crucified between two thieves. People say, well, them thieves went to hell. Well, wait a minute. One was saying, this will help some people that don't believe in it. I, well, I've heard, how many of y'all heard people say, I don't believe in deathbed repentance? Usually the people that say that are mean people, aren't they? 
I don't believe in that deathbed repentance. Well, you don't believe that in a person's dying breath that they come to a point of repentance and they cry out, God, have mercy on me for all the times I have refuted your mercy, that I have refused to accept you. If we don't believe it, what about the thief on the cross? That dude's nailed there. He's dying. And all he can say is, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus tell him? Nope, too late for you. You old sorry thing, you're going to go to hell. Should have thought about that before you were in the throes of death. No. Jesus said, I tell you this day, you shall be with me in paradise. Amen? But uh, life's greatest mistake is to be busy but not effective. Life's greatest failure is to be successful in the wrong assignment. Do we believe that God has a different standard of measuring what's successful? Because you know what the world, how does the world measure success? Oh, they bring home, you know, you got a six-figure income. Or you got a seven-figure income. And you got a nice big house. And you drive a big fancy car. And you just got all, you got all these materials. Isn't that how the world, lifestyles of the rich and famous. Isn't that how the world measures success? How many of y'all know that doesn't amount to anything? Thing to God, huh? Used to, the church I grew up in, they used to say, "Don't measure yourself using the devil's yardstick." In other words, God's got a different measure of standard than what the devil does, right? And who, who the Bible says is the God of this world with a little g, right? That's in that's in the Bible, right? What Second Corinthians? Is it Second Corinthians it says that the devil is the God of this world. Life's greatest failure is to be successful in the wrong assignment. Don't make the mistake in life of thinking, well, I'm in business and I have climbed the corporate ladder and I've got this promotion or I've done that and I've, I've got the corner office and, and my 401k is full, my bank account's full, I'm the president of the company, whatever. i got a private jet, whatever it is. And make the mistake of saying, I'm successful. Because you know what? There are people in business right now who are successful. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people who God has called to be businessmen and to be successful and to be millionaires and billionaires so for the very purpose that they can sow into the kingdom, that they can bring finances into the kingdom to further the kingdom of God. There are people that God has called. That is their call. That is their assignment. But there are lots of, there are even probably as many people or more who are in the world of business that just because of their intellect and their work effort and the way they work, that they can be successful in it and they can achieve a degree of what the world calls success and deceive themselves into thinking they're successful. And God called them to the ministry. And they didn't want to receive the call because they weren't willing to make the sacrifice that they, that they needed to. Amen. I see gears are turning, click, 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 right? Success in life is measured by the effective use of one's time. Amen? I'm going to give you the whole thing one more time without any commentary. Life's greatest tragedy is not death, but life without purpose, life with the wrong priorities. Life's greatest challenge is in knowing what to do. The greatest mistake in life is to be busy but not effective. Life's greatest failure is to be successful in the wrong assignment. Success in life is measured by the effective use of one's time. Amen? So you're there in Matthew. We want to take a look. at. We're still in Matthew chapter 16, and I want to just, uh, you know, this isn't necessarily a continuation of last week's teaching 
as far as I'm going to put it, that we're going to put it online as a series. But in a way, it is a continuation in that what we had been looking at the last three weeks was laying a foundation and doing some groundwork. And so I want to read the verses just so we see the flow of what we're going into. Because sometimes, how many of y'all know it's good to read the Word in context? You can make it. You can make anybody say anything you want to, including the Word, by lifting stuff out of context and reading it, right? And so if we want to take a look at some of the Scriptures that we looked at in context. And, and so I'm going to start back with verse 13, Matthew 16:13, and read through some verses here that we taught on the past few weeks. It said, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ." And from that time, Jesus began to show His disciples. Now, I'm going to pause right there. Through verse 20 was where we had been teaching the past three weeks. That was our main text. And so, starting from that point, and those of you that have been with us, you'll hopefully see the continuity. Uh, Our guests that are here this morning, we have the CDs. We have CDs available for free, or you can go online to the website and and get the podcast and listen to it uh, if you're so inclined. But verse 21 says, So from that time, from the time that Jesus had disclosed to them, I am the Christ, I am the Son of the living God, from that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. And you understand the word Satan literally means enemy. Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you, do not, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. All right? Now, here's the continuity. This is where we're going to start teaching today. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Now remember, he's, he's told you, I'm the Christ. I'm going to die. He said, now he said, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will you give a man in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and He will reward each according to His works. Amen? We're just going to stop right there, and we're going to begin to take a look at this. Notice this, Jesus says, Jesus is talking about, and what we're talking about this morning is, the cost of discipleship. How many of y'all know, we we hear it said in church a lot, that salvation is a free gift from God? Well, it is. You can't earn it. You can't go out and do anything to make you good enough for God to save you. The Bible says that salvation is the gift, is the gift of God, that, that we're saved by, faith, by grace through faith are you saved. And so you can't do anything to earn your salvation. It's something that we simply we, we accept it as a gift from God. But once you become born again, 
And that's the thing the Bible says, right, according to, what is it, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away, all things have become new. And so when we are born again, as Jesus said in John chapter three sixteen, when you're born again, when we become a new creature in Christ Jesus, amen, at that point, we're like, you know, we're, we're babies, and we need to, how many of y'all know, have heard the term socialization? And, and basically, socialization just means the, the, the effects of the environment that you grew up in on you. You know, you grow up in an environment, um, and the way your parents interact with each other, and, and just all the different factors uh, play into helping mold your character. Well, how many of you all know, in a sense, socialization, it, it, it's a type of discipleship, right? Because you understand... Let's define terms so everybody knows what we're talking about. A disciple is a student or a pupil. Well, what do students and pupils do? They learn stuff, right? If you're a student, some of our folks here in the church, they're back in school. You're students. You're, you're pupils. You're learning stuff. People, which means, which is implied, which you may not realize or not, but if you're a pupil and you're really learning something, you're submitted to someone's teachings. Woo! Amen? You're submitted to someone's teachings. But a disciple or, or a learner, is, is, is so it's a learner, it's a pupil, and that word disciple comes from the word discipline. Discipline. And there's several definitions of the word discipline, but the one we're looking at is discipline is training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Somebody say, man, you give a lot of definitions. It's because how many of us are guilty of using words and because, just because, don't make the mistake of thinking that because you can use a word in its context that you know what it means. Amen. There's a difference. And so I like for us to make sure that we know what we're saying because sometimes you can get a powerful revelation of stuff just by having a clear understanding of its meaning. But discipline, training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character of someone. Okay? So... We understand this, that it corrects, it molds. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Amen? Now, you understand that, that how many of you all know you need some correcting in some areas? And, and the unfortunate thing is, is that human nature... We don't like to be corrected, do we? Man, my grandmother, she's down, and Jared, our little boy, our, our middle son, Jared, he likes to climb all over everything. Man, I, I, I used to tease and say that uh, he was half monkey. And then I watched Veggie Tales with Clay where Larry said, if it doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey. If it doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey. It's an ape. I mean, some of you got grandkids or kids that have watched Veggie Tales, you know the little song. So now I say he's part ape because he doesn't have a tail. Right? But he'll climb all over everything. And you know my sweet, little, cute, little, pretty, little 16-month-old son, innocent as he can be, when he wants to climb up on something, and my grandmother tried to correct him yesterday, and she'd tell him, no, Jared, get down. And she'd get him and set him down. <laughs> He'd throw fit. He'd throw a fit and he'd holler and cry and he'd walk through the house going, Aah! like she'd be like, like, oh my gosh, did my grandma just hit him with something? You know, he, you, you thought he was hit. What's he doing? He goes around, comes through the house, 
He walks past his mama. He walks to me. And he's just bawling. Well, guess what? We, we both know he wasn't hurt. But he was just told something that corrected him. And he didn't like it. And what my point is, is that's human nature. You know, you can spot that with people spiritually and their spiritual maturity too. You tell them something they don't want to hear, they'll, they'll start squalling like, you, like the preacher just abused them. And guess what? Just like a baby, they'll walk from house to house to whoever will hear them, email whoever will hear them, Facebook whoever will hear them, get on the phone and call whoever they can get to trying to get some sympathy from someone because the pastor done got on to me and a mean old pastor got on to me and corrected me. No. First of all, pastor didn't get on to you and correct you. The Word corrected you. But how many of y'all know human nature, if we don't like to be corrected, but the very, because, why? Because we don't like to think you're wrong. And I've said, and remember, we've said this before, and this is kind of going back to review. The word repent is not a religious word. Now, man has tried to make it religious, but the word repent just simply means you change the way you think. And I've said this before, that as believers, we are called to a lifestyle of repentance. The day you get tired of having to change your mind, the day, how many of y'all, I've said this before, okay? Man, I'm just tired of being told I'm wrong all the time. How many of y'all ever said that? Go ahead, confession's good for the soul. Go ahead and say, just admit it. I just get tired of you telling me I'm wrong all the time. Well, how many of y'all know there's some cases where that's legitimate? There's some cases, if, you, if it's a circumstance where someone is just being critical of you and nothing you can do pleases them, well, the problem might be with them, Right? But sometimes you might need correcting. And, and, so, and, the, and so the Bible tells us that Scripture is given for, for doctrine, which is just teaching and establishing what you believe is, is truth in your life. For reproof, oh Lord Jesus, don't even start talking to me about reproof. Because reproof, reproof literally means you tell someone, you're wrong and this is what you need to do that's right. Because it's so funny, you remember the scripture, I might get to what I, my notes are this morning, amen, I might get there. But you understand, remember the story about where, it's, you know, and a lot of people, they associate this where it says, judge not lest you be judged. And, it's, and it talks about, and it's associated with, you know, how can you, if you've got a beam in your eye, go to your brother and say, let me help you get that speck of sawdust out of your eye. How many of you ever heard people say that? Oh, you're trying to get the speck out of my eye and you've got, you got a big old log sticking in your own eye. Well, it's funny because in my Bible, your Bible might not say this, but if you got the right translation, amen, amen. My Bible says, get the beam out of your own eye and you can see clearly to help your brother get the sawdust out. Is that what the Word says? Does your Bible say the same thing? Have you heard it before? It says, get the beam out of your eye and then go help your brother get the sawdust out. It doesn't say you... But now this is what most people think. It means, you hypocrite, you got all kinds of junk yourself. Just leave me alone and leave my sawdust in my eye. Now isn't that how most people think it? You walk around with your log and you leave my little speck alone. But that's not what that passage says and that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, take care of your problem and then go help your brother. Amen? Take care of your own problem and then go help your brother. How many of y'all know that if you got a Christian brother that you know that, <clears throat> you know, because the Bible, can we all agree the Bible says don't be drunk with wine wherein is dissipation, right? How many of you know if you find out someone at the church has got a drinking problem <clears throat> and, uh, and, you, and you lay out smashed Friday and Saturday and get sober just long enough to make it to church and teach your Sunday school class on Sunday morning? That doesn't happen in the church, does it? 
Amen. That doesn't happen, does it? If you've got, if you've got, you know, if 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 they just take a little nip every once in a while, because I'm comparing sawdust and a beam. If they got, you know, if they just like to have a little shot of bourbon before they go to bed at night, but you lay drunk two days of the week on the weekend, you probably don't want to go talk to them and, and, and admonish them to leave that shot of bourbon alone before they go to bed, do you? Huh? Why? Because they're going to look at you and say, my gosh, you just came off a two-day drunk and you're trying to tell me not to take a shot before I go to bed? Huh? But what would the words, the word would say, get delivered and take care of that problem you got yourself, right? And then go help the brother, right? Amen? And so you understand this, that the word, it's the, the purpose of the word is given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. And the Bible also tells us, and I see some of y'all thinking, man, pastor taking a rabbit trail. No, I'm not. You just got to stay with me. We're hiking. Amen? We ain't on the interstate. We're hiking. So just stay with me. Keep me in sight. Amen? I'll, I'll be the guy and I'll hold my hand up every once in a while so on the trail you can see me. Okay? So it said that that's the purpose of Scripture. And the Word also says, No longer be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's over in Romans. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, now this word discipline, getting back to the word discipline, training that corrects and molds or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. So if we are disciples of Jesus, how many of us want to be disciples of Jesus, right? If we are disciples of Jesus, then we have entered into a process of training that will correct that will correct us and mold us and perfect us. Oh, some of you go, perfecting, how is he going to tie that perfecting in? Because I'm just getting this right now. I, this ain't in my notes. Huh? The, the, the Word says in Ephesians chapter 4 that he gave some apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints. One translation says for the perfecting of the saints. So if we are disciples and we, and, and we want to be disciples of Jesus, we have entered into training that corrects, molds, and perfects or equips or matures us for, uh, for our mental faculties. This is mental faculties and moral character, but let's just say we're talking spiritual for our spiritual development. So in other words... To truly be... How many of y'all know the church is full of people who are not disciples of Jesus? They are not disciples of Jesus. They are people who have went to church and they have made a profession of faith. And they, my pastor used to say they may have went to the front of the church and shook the hand of a six-foot icicle. Amen? They might have their name on a church book, but they are not disciples of Jesus. Why can you say that, Pastor? You're being judgmental. No, I'm not. I'm examining fruit and drawing a conclusion. Amen? And I'm allowed to do that, right? According to the Word. They have not entered into training that corrects, molds, or perfects their spiritual character. They've made a profession and they've accepted a label, I am a Christian. And they've accepted a label and they think that because they wear the label that that makes them what it is, what, what that label is. How many of you all know that I could get a can of corned beef, and a can of dog food. And I'm using that example because they probably come off the same production line. Right? Amen. <laughs> I'm just joking. But I can take and I can exchange the labels. I can peel the label off the can of corned beef, and I can take a can of Alpo and peel the label off and put a label on that says corned beef, and, it can, and I can set it in your cupboard, and it can sit there for years, 
and you're going to, and by looking at the label, you're going to think, well, that's a can of corned beef. And then say one day you get this wild hair that corned beef and cabbage actually sounds good to you. And you say, I got that can of corned beef up there. I'm going to get me some cabbage and cut it up and cook it, and I'm going to put me some corned beef in it, and I'm going to have corned beef and cabbage. And you go to your pantry, and maybe it's been there for a year. You've been looking at that can that says and advertises, you know, corned beef. And you open that stuff up, and you don't notice. Amen. How many of y'all know you're probably going to tell, right? When you open it up and you see the contents of it, you're going to tell, wait a minute, this ain't corned beef, this is Alpo. And it's only fit for the dogs, right? I ain't eating that mess. The point is, is that there are people in churches this morning, this is the hour of prayer, right? This is the religious hour in America. 11 a.m. It is 11.02 a.m. this morning. The most religious, and I don't say religious with any affinity. Because Jesus was not religious. Jesus did not come to establish a religion. Jesus came to establish a relationship that had been broken with the Father. He came to reestablish that. Jesus came to... Religion is what man has made out of what Jesus did. But the most religious hour, there are church houses, there are some houses that are full, some that are not so full, some that are more full than others, some that are bigger than others, that are full of people who are Christians, they've got the label on the can, but if in the Spirit you could see inside to the can to see what it was, it's not corned beef, it's Alpo. Why? Because they are not genuinely disciples. Now, I'm going to tell you what, this is not popular teaching. You know what? If I changed my tune a whole lot, we could have a whole lot more backsides in the seats this morning, couldn't we? Boy, if I just gave you a little old, a little sugar-coated, I'm okay, you're okay, God loves you. And He does. God loves you. God loves everybody. There is no level of depravity and sin that someone could sink into that God doesn't love that person and is willing to accept that person if they will call on the name of the Lord they shall be saved. But this is the thing. He loves you so much, He will take you any way that you are. Now, He will only take you one way. You only come to Him one way, and that's through Jesus. He will take you any way you are, but He also loves you so much that He will not leave you in that condition. Because He knows the condition produces death. How many of y'all know there are Christians today, people who are born again, if they die, they're going to go to heaven for a while, right? Amen. And they die, and and and... They, 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 their whole life they had death produced in it. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And you understand, I'm talking about there's different manifestations. Yes, they're saved. Yes, if they die, Jesus, you know, they're saved. They're not going to go to hell. But their whole life, they've done things contrary to the Word and reaped the consequences of it. Maybe it was out of ignorance. Maybe it was out of pure out rebellion. But they've not walked. Why? Because they will not discipline themselves, they will not submit to a regiment of training that Jesus has said. Now understand, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone desires to come after Me, and He's talking about being a disciple, He said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Now like I said, this type of teaching, you know, you want to start talking about personal responsibility you want to start talking about personal responsibility, you want to talk about self-denial, it ain't going to be popular. You ain't, they ain't going to be lined up at your book table probably to get that, right? 
you're probably not going to be on the New York Times bestsellers list when you start when you start talking about a when you start talking about that God the Word of God definitely teaches personal responsibility. Man, people are the greatest self-help book, if you will, is the Bible. And some people say, no, 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 wait a minute, Pastor. God helps you. Yeah, but you know, God won't even help you. It, it does not say in the Bible God helps those that helps themselves. But, the, but that principle is throughout the Bible. Because sometimes helping yourself is just, out, is just calling out on the Lord, right? Right? Call, calling out on the Lord. Well, Jesus is saying, now listen, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. It's not Pastor Brian saying this. It says, if a man, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Self-denial is a requisite to being a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Self-denial is a requisite in other words, it is something that is required. It's not an option. It is a requisite for being a disciple of Jesus. There is a... How many of y'all know that um, there is a, an American gospel... You know, Pastor Earl coined the phrase. Somebody else might have coined it. There is what some call the American gospel, and then there's the gospel. There's, how many of y'all know there's imitation bacon bits and there's real bacon bits, right? What's the implication? If something is imitation bacon bits, then the implication is it's not, it's not real, right? It's not genuine, right? How many of you got a Bible? Well, my Bible's got a leather cover on it. Is it really leather or is it genuine imitation leather? Isn't that funny? Used to it would say leather, it'd say imitation leather, and the real stuff would say genuine leather. Now they got genuine imitation leather. What's that? <laughs> have you ever seen a genuine imitation what's that you know as opposed to imitation imitation amen but you understand is that that the discipline that they're denying yourself there's an american gospel that is something like this god loves you just the way you are you don't have to change a thing because he knows that you're not perfect and you really don't even have to try, baby, because you know God's greasy grace is just good enough just to cover all your mistakes and the blatant sin in your life that he loves you enough to try to deal with, but you don't want to do it. But he loves you anyway. And you know what? You just ask him into your darling little heart. <laughs> Am I being too sarcastic for some people? I don't mean to be. Amen. You just ask Him into your heart, darling, and then you just skip on along your merry way and just live your life any way you want to, just knowing that, man, He's got your back. He loves you. And, uh, you know, when you die, you get to go to heaven forever and ever and float on a cloud and play a harp. Well, how many of you all know that is starkly contrary to what the Bible really teaches? They've got the, the, about the part of it that's right is that God loves you. God loves you, okay? But the, but they don't teach. How many of y'all know that? How many remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Okay. Now I don't say parable. Bible didn't call it a parable. A parable was a hypothetical story that Jesus told. Jesus, the Bible doesn't call this a parable. I believe it was an actual account. And you notice in parables, Jesus never used names. There's a man named in this parable, Lazarus, the, the poor man that was laid at the rich man's gate. 
So this story story doesn't fit the, 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 the template of a parable. This was an, I believe this was an actual account. Somebody say, well, why didn't he tell the rich man's name? Would it, the Bible says that if we're to speak the truth in love, that the, the words we say are supposed to minister grace to the hearer. Now, if he'd have told, would, how much grace would it minister to you if, if the Lord Jesus Christ was telling a story about your, un, your rich uncle Bob that died and was roasted in hell? That wouldn't minister much grace, would it? So Jesus omitted the name of the rich man, but he did tell the name of Lazarus. So maybe that if Lazarus had some family out there that maybe heard the story, they could take comfort in knowing that Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. Right? But how many of y'all know that story? That there's there's some subtleties in it that at first first read, you know casual casual readings you miss a lot of stuff. But it talks about that the, the rich man said he fared sumptuously every day. Remember that? Do you remember that wording? That's King James Version, probably, because I grew up reading the King James Version because that was the version of the Bible that Jesus used. <laughs> Some of y'all get that, right? Amen. But it says, The rich man fared sumptuously every day. In other words, he ate plenty. He ate in abundance. Can we say and can we deduct from that that he probably did not deny himself anything? There's an illustration that he didn't deny himself anything. Well, now Jesus says that if you are going to be my disciple, if you are going to be one who submits yourself to a, a, a regiment of training that corrects molds and perfects you, that you are going to deny yourself, amen, and pick up your cross and follow him daily. Okay? Understand this. He did not just say that that was the requirement for preachers. How many of y'all know God, again, well, how many of y'all know God does have two separate yardsticks for preachers and regular believers? He does. I was getting ready to say that He doesn't, but He does. The one for ministers is stricter. The Bible says over in the book of James, says you that there are going to be teachers, let there not be many teachers among you, knowing that teachers are going to be measured, they're going to have a stricter judgment. Okay? So there are two different yardsticks, but one's not... But it's not. It's not that there's that this pastor. You understand this is a this is a measurement on the yardstick that's given to anybody that just wants to be a disciple of Jesus. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to enter into the the regiment of spiritual training, it says that you have to deny yourself. Now that word deny. It means to deny utterly. That is to disown. Or to abstain, and I, and I put this in the clarify a little bit for you, that's straight out of Strong's Concordance, to deny utterly, to dis, disown, to abstain from yourself's desires. Now, someone can help me when I mention this story. I believe it's over around Luke, maybe, maybe the 17th chapter. The story of, it says, Whom among you having a servant will go into the field and labor, and when you come out of the field will t- to have supper, will tell the servant to come and sit with you and dine with you, but will first say, prepare my meal, bring it to me, and then I'm going to eat, and then when I get done, then you can come and be seated and have a meal. What is, that? is that in Luke chapter 7? Luke 17, 7. Thank you. Luke 17, 7. 
says, how many of you are... So my point is, is that here we have this example. It says, and which of you having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? In other words, Jesus is asking the question, how many of you all that have a servant? Now you understand this, that servants belonged... To their master, right? Now, we don't like to think about it. I'm an American, bless God. Nobody owns me. Nobody owns me. Let's go on to the next verse. Verse 8. If you can. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk and then afterwards you will eat and drink? Now, this is what I want to get. Is, is Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, if you are going to discipline yourself in living the way God wants you to, you understand, this is my point from this story. This servant, the wishes of the master trumped anything that the servant wanted to do. Right? Is that true? The, the wishes of the master. Now, who's the master represent? God, Jesus, okay. Who does the servant represent? That'd be us, okay. All right. So... You notice in this is that, and what I'm saying is because I want to alleviate some people's concerns because some people say, wait a minute, Pastor, don't I myself utterly, do you mean I don't ever get to do nothing that I want to do? Well, no, darling, that's not what I'm saying. My point is from this story is the master said, you do what I told you to do first. And then after you've done what I've told you to do and you've done all your duties and everything that I've required of you is done, then the servants would have some free time, Right? but only after, and if they were doing their own thing, and the master said, I have a chore for you, it was, sir. Now see, the, that what I was calling earlier the American gospel, this is foreign to it. This, what I'm telling you right now, to American gospel, is, is offensive. No, I get to do my thing. I got, you know, uh, what was it, that song? Frank Sinatra used to sing, I did it my way, right? Here's a little more contemporary version of it. It's my life, Bon Jovi. It's my life, right? It's my life. I do what I want to. I listen to that song. It's a pretty catchy, catchy song. I like the, the sound of it. It's pretty good. And I say, it's my life, and I give it to the Lord and do what, and do what I want to because what I want to do is give my life to Jesus. How many of y'all know some songs, it's just your paradigm that you listen, listen to that, right? But you understand in this story, it's saying the servant... And now remember, because there's a connection here, because when Jesus is telling the parables, usually there's something in the parable that represents the master, represents God, and there's someone else in the story that represents our role, right? And so Jesus is talking about the example of this is, I'm the master, you know, I'm the master, you're the servant, right? And so understand this, is it, it's, it, to deny means to deny utterly. I like that word disown, because... We've said this, and man, I can tell you, I, I was sharing with someone yesterday, this was one of the most unpopular uh, comments that I had made, one of the most unpopular teachings, because you could just see, choom, choom, choom. I was afraid I was going to get hit by a ricochet a couple of times when I was mentioning it. The Bible says in Romans 10 and 9, you know, it's, when it's talking about uh, what saith thee, the word is nigh thee, uh, is in your mouth, that is the word of faith we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I said that if, you, that if we think confess just means, well, I just said that Jesus is Lord, and we think that Lord is His label. We think He's got a T-shirt that says Lord. 
right? And we just think that's label. Oh, if I just can, if I just say that Jesus is Lord, then and I believe that God's raising from the dead, I'm going to be saved. And and what we said is, you study out that word confess literally means. And if you don't believe me, by Strong's Concordance, go look it up. The word confess means to make a covenant with your mouth. Okay, You make a covenant with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that word Lord means supreme authority. Now, and I've said this, you don't get hung up on the semantics of, well, I, you know, when I prayed 25 years ago, I didn't say, Jesus, I make a covenant with my mouth that you are the supreme authority. I'm not saying that. How many of you all know some people can just, you know, some people can just be on the altar crying or standing at their seat weeping and just say, oh, God, save me. And saying, oh, God, save me, they've come to that point where, Jesus, I promise you, you're the supreme authority of my life. So, so I don't get hung up on words. I do get hung up on what, they, what you mean when, when you say something. Right? And so, but disown, that word disown. If anyone is going to follow me, he must deny or disown himself. You realize, and does the Bible teach this? Does this sound familiar to us? Have we read in the New Testament that it says that, that you are not your own, you've been bought with a price? And so, let me. how many of y'all, if you own a car, you own it. Your name's on the title, you make the payments, it's yours, or you got you the title, or, but you, or you make the payments. How many of y'all know that somebody else just can't walk over and, and, and meet you at a red light, stopped, and tap on your window with a gun, and ask you to step out of your car and take it and go do what they want to with it? Carjacking? Is that illegal? Well, why? Because that's not their property, right? And so they've taken something that doesn't belong to them and they've used it. But now, this is where, whoo, help me, Lord. How many of y'all know there's lots of Christians that are carjacking God's property? And it's the pe- and some of it's out of ignorance, okay? Don't think, and don't think I'm bad-mouthing these people. I'm not. A lot of people, it's out of ignorance because they've just not been taught. They've been taught. Well, you just ask him into your heart and then you're good. If you ever die, it doesn't even matter if you have a heart attack on the bar stool. You're good. You think I'm kidding. My, my mom had an aunt that argued with my dad one time because most of you know my dad was a bivocational minister. She argued with my dad one time because she belonged to a church that told her once you asked Jesus into your heart that it didn't matter how you lived, that if you died drunk on a bar stool, she argued if I died drunk on a bar stool, I'd go to heaven. Well... I mean, she might, but you might not, right? Do you want to take that chance, right? Because I'm not saying, because you understand, I'm not saying that people can be believers and they'll never do anything wrong. Because you can be a believer and you can be born again and you can go out and you can make some bad decisions. But there's also a lot of people who think they're believers that go out and live that way, that they're deceived. And remember I, start, remember I started this morning, the worst part about being deceived is not knowing you're deceived. Y'all know better now, right? Y'all know better. You're responsible for it. Amen. Just everybody just go ahead and smile. Say, we love you, Pastor. We know you're not being mean, right? Okay? But to deny yourself. Now, like I said, to utterly deny, to disown, to abstain from your own desires. And so, and like I said, using that example out of Luke chapter 17, that doesn't mean that you don't get to do the things in your life that you enjoy. But what it does mean is that that the fact that you're owned by Jesus, the fact that you have entered into 
the regiment of discipline, of spiritual discipline to be a disciple, it means that you have your... How many of y'all know your priorities are set when you do that? How many of y'all know... How many of you have ever been in the military or had family that was in the military? Okay? How many of y'all know when you're in the military, your priorities are set for you, aren't they? Amen? Who actually served in the military? Anybody actually serve in the military? Okay, just had family. How many of y'all know when you're in the military, uh, your priorities are set, right? When revelry blows, you're up and out of the bed. You don't roll over twice and say the bed feels good, do you? You have a drill sergeant flopping you out on the floor and saying, drop and give me 20, right? Your priorities are set. And so if we enter into being a disciple of Jesus, your priorities are set. Now, lots of people never accept the priorities. Spiritually AWOL. And like I said, it might be because they've never been taught. Because, because like I said, this isn't popular. It's not popular, especially not in America. It's not popular. I'm my own person. I do my own thing. And this is the thing. And like I said, it's a stark difference from just, you know, babble a half-hearted confession and do your own thing. It's that you have a master, because this is the thing, you can, do you realize you can never have a student or a pupil without having what else? A teacher. And so, those of you that have been, you know, you've been to school, how many of y'all know when you were a kid, you didn't just show up at school, and those that are going to school now, that we've got are some non-traditional, you didn't just go to school, and you didn't set the agenda. You just didn't break out the textbook and say, hey, you know what, I just think I feel like reading two paragraphs a day and having recess the rest of the time. <laughs> but is that what's going on in a lot of believers' lives? Is that what's going on in a lot of believers' lives? They think, well, I'm enrolled in school, why, I go to church on Sunday. I even got my little two-minute devotional that I read. I get my little email devotionals coming to me. And so I go to church on Sunday, and I read my little email devotional, and I'm enrolled in school. But how many of you all know, you can't, you, what, what kind of grade? You can try to do that. You can try to do that, and, uh, and about every, you know, when I was in school, it was about every eight weeks or six weeks, you get this little thing called a report card that would report your progress. And uh, you get it, you know, if you tried to go to school and set your own agenda, usually you got these uh, little letters on your report card. Uh, and sometimes it might even be in red ink. They don't use red ink anymore because it might make the students feel bad. <laughs> but you get these letters on your report card that says F which means you've not successfully accomplished the tasks that were set before you. How many of you all know that you can be a believer, you can be born again, you can be a child of God, and get F's on your report cards, and you can keep ignoring them? You know, you can hide it from Mom. <laughs> None of you all ever did that, did you? I, you know, hide it from Mom. I remember I made a bad grade one time and I didn't give it to my mom and uh, I tried to hide it and the teacher said, Where, you, know, you had to bring it back signed. I didn't want to do it. And they said, well, I'm going to mail your mom a copy. Man, bless God, I checked the mail three times a day for the next week trying to intercept that thing. <laughs> I didn't want mom getting a hold of that. Right? I just need to hide it from her. Well, you understand that, that to deny ourselves utterly 
disown means that we set aside our desires. But now, and you understand it's not because I'm going to bring this up quick, and we're going to end it on. A, we ain't going to end it on a good note, right? I ain't going to send y'all. I ain't going to say, let by God. We go. Oh my God! I, I don't. I can't get to do nothing. No, 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 no. The word says that God will give you the sincere desires of your heart. Now, there are so many. This one little verse. So many different ways to interpret this. One is some people think well, I've got desires in my heart, and that means God will give it to me. Well, let's qualify. He said He'd give you the sincere desires of your heart. How many of y'all know you got some desires in your heart that might not necessarily be sincere? So if they're not truly sincere desires, then those are disqualified, right? You know, you might desire to run off to Acapulco and get you some big hoochie mama and just dance around, leave your family and dance around with some bikini-clad hoochie mama, right? How many of y'all know that's not a... It's all right, y'all go ahead and smile. Pastor said hoochie mama, right? Just smile. How many of y'all know that that doesn't qualify as a sincere desire, does it? No. So, so is God going to give you that desire? No, God's not going to give you that desire. Why? Because it's not sincere. Okay? So you can interpret that as saying God will give you the sincere desires of your heart. Then you can also read that scripture and think, God will give me the desires. God's going to, in, other words, in other words, not that you have a sincere desire already in your heart and God gives that to you, and that might be an appropriate way to interpret it, that God will give you those sincere desires of your heart. You know, I might desire to have a Harley Davidson motorcycle so I can let my wife ride double. <laughs> not, not just because I want one, right? It's so funny, when Pastor Cheyenne and I first got married, we were living in a little two-bedroom garage apartment over in uh, Coffee County, Georgia. And, uh, and it had two-car garage underneath it, and the landlord told us that we could have one side and that he wanted to keep the other, that he had a couple of Harley-Davidson motorcycles that he wanted to keep parked on a trailer in town. And, uh, and we thought, well, that's pretty cool. His wife rides a motorcycle with him. It come out later, his wife didn't ride with him. But someone was that wasn't his wife that he ended up getting divorced. <laughs> Amen. But we looked, I looked at the motorcycle, and I told Pastor Cheyenne, I said, man, I said, wouldn't it be great just to pray, just to believe God that He'd bless us and let us have a Harley Davidson motorcycle, I said, and she said, just one, and I said, well, yeah, just one. I said, I figured we could ride it double. You know what she told me? She said, well, that's cool, but wouldn't you feel silly sitting behind me while I was driving that thing? <laughs> Amen. Amen. I said, I, I scratched my head off. Dear God, I would. Amen. <laughs> I would. Amen. God will give you the sincere desires of your heart. But here's the other interpretation. Maybe it's something that you didn't even come up with. God will give... How many of you all know that probably very few people who were really called to ministry, that that was a desire they came up with all by themselves? Because it's easy, ain't it, Angie? Dave, it's, ministry, it's a piece of cake, man. Everybody loves you all the time. Everybody, you say something and people just automatically give you the benefit of the doubt that you didn't mean it the mean way. They just love you all the time. No, how many of you all know that sometimes God will say, I am going to place this desire in you. I'm going to put this desire in you. I had a friend that, that God placed in his heart. and He's on staff at a church in Florida that God placed it on his heart that he wanted to be a father to the fatherless. 
that God put such a strong father and heart in him before he even had his own children. He adopted, he and his wife adopted two almost teenage boys. Now, dear God, you know, how many of y'all can just say, I really desire to have two, two strange teenage boys just move in with me? Huh? How many of y'all know that probably ain't something you just whipped up yourself, right? Because everybody knows raising teenage boys is easy, right? Ask my mom. She could testify. It was easy. Right? How many, but how many of y'all know that that was a sincere desire of his heart? Was, I want to be a father to the fatherless. I want someone that life's dealt them just a, a bad hand, and I want to be a father to them. I want to love them the way God the Father loves me and be an example and an illustration to them of the love of God. How many of y'all know that's a sincere desire? And he didn't probably conjure that up himself, but that was probably something that God placed in his heart. And so this is the thing, and I'm going to give you this out of Isaiah. It says, it says if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. So don't, I don't want anybody leaving this morning thinking that discipleship is an oppressive, restrictive, and unpleasant thing. Okay? I don't want you coming at that. Because how many of you all know with every sacrifice, every time you make a sacrifice, there's benefit and there's blessing. If you're on a diet and you're wanting to lose weight, man, your flesh might be screaming, I want the cake. Okay? Your flesh is screaming for it. But you've got a vision to lose weight and you say, no, I am going to deny myself. What I want, I'm going to, why? Because I have a vision, I have a, I have a goal that I want to achieve, and I am going to deny myself. My flesh can scream for it, but I'm not going to let you have it. I will deny myself. There are times, there are, I've said this before, Pastor Cheyenne, and you can tell it by looking at her, the fact that she had a baby five weeks ago, and she doesn't look like she had a baby five weeks ago. Pastor Cheyenne is one of the best at it that I've seen. Sometimes, I've shared this before, sometimes she will not eat dessert, not because she's on a diet, just because she, her flesh wants it so bad that she wants to keep herself in the practice of denying herself. And it's in little things. I'm going to wrap this up. You know, uh, Brother Hagen said he didn't do a whole lot of fasting. Brother Kenneth E. Hagen, some of you may know him, some of you may, may, might not mean anything to some of you. But uh, he was the founder of the Bible school that we went to. He said he, lived, he said he really didn't have to fast a whole lot because he lived a fasted lifestyle. You know, sometimes if you'll be sensitive enough to it, you might be eating and the Holy Spirit say, that's enough, stop and put the fork down. And it might even be all right to have dessert but how many of y'all know when you go to Texas Roadhouse and you order the chocolate what? The chocolate monsoon or whatever they call it and they bring out a plate full of stuff that uh, could feed a small village in India, the amount of chocolate and ice cream that's on it? You probably don't need to eat that whole thing by yourself. Cause I know everything's bigger in Texas, in, in, including belt buckles and belt stores and West Virginia. I won't pick on Texas, all right? Sometimes you might be eating it, and, and some of you are going, oh, no, I just don't understand what is the spiritual significance of it. If you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the big things. And if you can listen to the Holy Spirit when he says, don't eat it at all, or you can be three bites into it, and he says, okay, that's enough, put the spoon down, you're done. Then, because you, you understand, the same, how many of you all know, the same the same muscles on a skinny little scrawny guy that can go to the gym and lay down on a bench and he's straining to push up. The bar weighs 45 pounds 
and he's got two 10-pound weights on the end of it, so he's pushing 65 pounds. The same muscles on a scrawny little guy that goes in and is bench pressing 65 pounds. You can have another guy come in that has the same kind of muscles and lay down on a bench and can take 405 pounds and do it for 12 reps on bench press. It's the same kind of muscles. What's the difference? The one guy has trained his muscles more extensively. He's trained up. He submitted his body to a regiment of training. He probably eats different than the little scrawny guy does. He eats different amounts of different kinds of food, and he trains, and he's got different results. But it's the same muscles, just one's been transformed. Why? Because it submitted to a regiment of training that developed it and turned it into something that is much, much more powerful. This is what you need to realize. A little thing, like I said, back to that, using that example, just putting the fork down, listen to the Holy Ghost about self-denial. Sometimes, you know, your flesh might want, especially for, this is the thing for me, my flesh yesterday just felt like just sitting and watching college football for 12 straight hours. How many of y'all know my wife would have given my flesh a little inclination of something different had I done that, right? But you understand that it's training yourself and this is just a small part. We're going, to get more, we're going to look at this more next week. But training yourself of getting into a, a regiment of self-denial according to the Word, not just, not just saying, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do without something just to make it hard on myself. I'm talking about doing the Word because if, if, cause you don't have to conjure up stuff to make yourself feel deprived. And understand this, denial doesn't mean deprivation because the Word says if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. How many of y'all know God wants you to eat the good? God wants you. That's God's word. God said, I want you to eat the good of the land. Huh? He said, he said all you got to do is be willing and obedient. How many of y'all, if you've ever been on a diet and at first it seems so unpleasant, like yesterday, everybody knows Pastor Ben doing South Beach diet. I'm judging my body. I'm getting my flesh under. I've lost about 45 pounds so far. And how many of y'all, yesterday, you know, I, I took a little break day and I thought, whoo, I'm going to have me some pizza. And I'm going to have some chocolate, bless God. So I had me some deep dish, super supreme pizza. Not just supreme, super supreme. And I had me some chocolate. Guess what? I woke up this morning, I felt like I'd been run over. I felt bad. And Pastor Cheyenne will tell you this. Why? Because once you get your body used to eating the right stuff, and it hurts at first when you're used to eating the pizza, when you're used to eating, you know, when, when chocolate is an appetizer and a dessert, Right? When you go to the pizza buffet and you pull up a chair, <laughs> amen. when you stop doing that kind of stuff, it's unpleasant. Why? Because you're denying what your flesh wants. After you get into that regiment of doing it, and it becomes second nature to you, to do anything other than that, it makes you feel bad. It affects your body. Because why? Because your body has adjusted to the right stuff in your spirit. When you first begin denying yourself and following Jesus, denying your own desires and what you want to do, man, your flesh is going to scream. What the Bible says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You know why it says a living sacrifice? The problem with living sacrifices, they'd like to try to crawl off the altar. <laughs> it will be very uncomfortable to you at first, but remember Jeremiah 29, 11, God's plans for you are to give you a future and a hope to bless you, to prosper you, not to do you harm. And so if you can push through the initial discomfort, 
that it causes to your flesh and truly become disciples of Jesus, then the rewards are immeasurable. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Father, we just thank you.